welcome back to episode 42 of Gab with Gwen. Uh, I have been knocking them out back to back because I discovered technology during Corona. And on this episode, I have my sister, bio sister, not play pay sister, Miss Brooklyn, who was here. To, I can't remember what episode it was, um, a, a hip hop episode. I'll look up the name. Um, and she's back, not in the building, but remote. Say what's up, Brooklyn. Hey, hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. And I've mentioned you, you probably, you would not have heard the last episode because I literally posted it this morning, maybe a couple hours ago, and it's long, with our cousin Gail, who is an Mm -hmm. ER nurse. And she, it's long, but it's good because she goes into a lot of details about her experience being an ER nurse in the tri-state area on the front lines, you know, during everything that's going on right now. So I mentioned you during that one. And I think the previous episode was slim because I know we're all hunkering down somewhat or trying to figure stuff out is now I think the U S has the largest number of cases. Yes, we do. After China, which, you know, we don't really know the China numbers. So, but you know, we have the largest numbers after China at this point, which again, size of the country and just mm-hmm. the way our country set up, it makes sense. Cause we're very disjointed. It's literally like 50 countries in the country, you know, within, as opposed to States. So with all that happening, look, we have a lot going on. She talked about it from the healthcare perspective. Trump wants everybody to be full of church on Easter. Um, I have brought up a lot of questions, which I don't fully hear people talking about. Like, we know supplies are low with masks, and listen, none of us can get Lysol or wipes or toilet paper. And people are just saying that. But I, from a business perspective, understand, like, at a high-level supply chain, but you're an engineer, and this is an area that you're familiar with, so I wanted to talk to you because for me, I don't understand what's going on with the supply chain right now. Um, I understand outsourcing, right? So certain things, uh, the masks and things like that, I imagine that those are made in China, and frankly, they're having a shortage, and they're going to be the priority because they need them first, right? And then everyone needs that overarching, right? But certain things, like wipes, toilet paper, I don't understand how hard is it to manufacture more and get them back out. Isn't this a great opportunity for those companies to be caking off and making money? So just can you explain, just like, give us like supply chain management 101. Uh, Okay, Uh, so where do we start? So it really depends on what company we're talking about and their level of manufacturing excellence. So if you're a world-class manufacturer and, you know, just to give you a baseline, uh, Toyota is a world-class manufacturer, okay? And a lot of our manufacturing systems, at least those who have acknowledged and um, accepted that Toyota is awesome with this, have actually gone and benchmarked against Toyota. So a lot of the manufacturing concepts that modern-day manufacturers use are based off of their Toyota manufacturing systems. But then you also have to keep in mind that it's a tightrope that these companies walk where they don't want to have a lot of finished good inventory and because that's cash tied up. But then they also need to make sure that they are agile enough or have enough excess capacity that when sudden surge in demand happen, they can respond to it appropriately. So that's at the plant. But then, okay, so say, for example, I am that company where, yes, I have kept my inventory low. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have the capacity to ramp up production in a rather expeditious um, time. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, I need to truck these out somewhere. And trucking is a bottleneck for us because you only have so many trucking companies. And then it also depends on what good you're trucking out. So, for example, if, if we're talking about food perishables where you need refrigerated trucks, there's only a finite amount of refrigerated trucks. And then there are other industries that also require refrigerated trucks. Right. And some of these industries have been defined as essential. Um, for example, my business is because we have contracts with 
the Department of Defense, right. um, not just Americans' defense, but other countries. So yes, we have been deemed as important for national security. We need refrigerated trucks as well. Now you can't eat what we make, right. but we are now taken away from that capacity of trucks that needs to supply the country. So, so let's break it down because you, you're very smart. So my sister, I tell you, she's the smartest person I know. And this Besides mathematical mind. Yeah, true, our dad, yes. <laughs> but these, I come from, don't listen to my dumbass and you guys, my, you know, slick talk. I come from brilliant minds, okay? And engineers. So want to just break down a few things that you said. So... Toyota, I've heard of that, definitely benchmarking, Lean Six Sigma, we can talk about that later, all that type of stuff. Basically, it sounds like people, companies just make sure they manufacture just enough. They don't want too much right? because that sitting around on the shelves is not making them money. But in a situation like this, uh, they now have to be able to adjust to the demand, but there are other factors yeah. like trucking, et cetera, to explain in other industries that need it. So you can't, you can't just get a bunch of new trucks, right? There's only right. so many. Right. So let's think about, let's do one example, something easy. Cause I, I, your trucks and I think machinery and refrigerated goods. Let's talk about toilet paper. Okay. okay. Toilet paper. I feel like it's not something new. <laughs> I don't know if it takes a lot to make. I, I feel like it's not something unique and special. And, and the wipes, right? Toilet paper and the, and the Lysol wipes. Why Ooh, okay. is it so hard to find it? And can they make it quickly? Like, is it hard to ramp up stock? How does that work? Um. So that's a loaded question because I'm trying to answer it. So yes, I have personal experience in these industries, but I'm trying to make sure I don't give anybody free advertising. Don't say the names. Just talk. You don't have to say anybody's name. Just talk about the process in general, how it works. Okay. So if we're talking about baby wipes and toilet paper, Mm -hmm. those are actually very huge. They are actually very costly operations and um, require a lot of energy. Now let's talk about, can you ramp it up? Yes, you can ramp it up. Um, So for the particular company I used to work for, there was always this understanding that you had to have about 25 to 30% excess capacity so that in the event something like this happened, you could respond appropriately. Now, just to keep in mind guys that um, Walmart, runs consumer products, the consumer products world. Yes. And, you know, back in the day, there was a point in time when the manufacturers ran consumer products. They deemed what was being sold, where they were being sold, how much was being sold. And then as Walmart slowly grew, the tide turned. So now Walmart is the one that deems who, what, when, where, why, and how. So, for example, if Walmart were to come to Johnson & Johnson and say, you know what? Mm, I don't like Tylenol white. I think you guys should make Tylenol blue. Mm -hmm. J&J, there is a high likelihood J&J would find out, figure out how to quickly make Tylenol blue. That's how much clout Walmart has in the consumer products industry. Now, part of that clout is that they also are a factor in why these manufacturers keep their inventory low because Walmart wants to keep their inventory low. So they are very big on just-in-time manufacturing, meaning that if Walmart places an order for a thousand pallets of toilet tissue to be delivered in the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. That's what is being made. They may make a little bit for safety stock or buffer in other words, but it's very little because they now own that. Walmart's not buying that and that's now cash um, held up. Yes. I remember hearing about that in business school. So Walmart. So because everybody, go ahead. Yeah. No, Walmart just so everybody understand, like you like those low prices at Mar- at Walmart, but that is by design. Yes. And it's because Sam Walton, who was, you know, a little shop owner, as they grew, they really put their foot on the necks of yes. these companies and like forced them to like comply with them because they really became the biggest customer for these yes. companies. So they had the power to do that. So what that just means that 
you if you have the influence, then you can tell the people, all right, Pepsi, whatever or not, I want this many cases. I don't care what you think you do in your factory, but if you want to sell at my store, you're going to go according to my rules. And exactly. so Walmart has really, I don't think you guys really know this, like, but if you've gone to business school, you, and obviously my sister's engineer, but they're like a case model. All the things we're talking about, Toyota, all these things, these are like model industries that people study, how they've changed the game. But we're seeing in this time, like, okay, those things they did do to make low prices and keep things just in time, just like you go to Walmart, you can never find a person. Like, it has real implications mm -hmm. right now uh, in this pandemic. So you're saying they usually do 25 to 30% excess capacity, and now they, Walmart has just-in-time manufacturers. So, okay. So how the hell does that work now? So now I've ramped up. Okay, great. So... Yes, I'm making, I'm making, I'm making. Now I need to truck it. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, I'm trucking it to my DC, and then Walmart is coming with their trucks to take it to their DCs. What's DC? What's that? Oh, I'm sorry, distribution center. Sorry, okay. I forgot who I'm talking to. Okay. <laughs> so all this is time that's, you know, stuck in that, that's, you're, you're going to the supermarket looking at these empty shelves. This is why. Because, you know, it's not like we can, it's, first of all, our country is immense. Um, while ideally you want to place your distribution centers in a hub and spoke model, meaning for, you have you put your, your DCs in strategic places in the area to minimize the amount of time it takes to reach any corner of the country. That's us. Walmart has to do the same thing. You have these truckers that need to do this. We really don't do much by rail. Um, the vast majority of consumer goods are transported between distribution centers and actual brick and mortar stores via truck. Mm -hmm. And you have a finite number of these trucks. So yes, these days with everybody on lockdown and me still having to go in because I'm deemed essential, I see a lot of trucks on the highways, definitely. They're, they're, they're pushing. But then keep in mind, guys, truckers can only work for so many hours, that's now become a safety issue. So if we think, so I want to break this down. So theoretically, say that uh, the manufacturers of, you know, toilet paper, baby wipes, they are able to meet the demand. Like they're, you know, I don't know, I Love Lucy, that little chocolate episode. They just pushing all the chocolates on the conveyor belt, putting all the toilet paper out. Yep. It can be that they could actually meet the demand, but we have potentially a distribution we have a logistics issue. issue. Most logistics. likely we have a logistics issue, yes. Ah, so we can actually likely meet the demand, but just in terms of logistics, it's it's only built for like BAU, like business as usual. Right. So when exactly. it really gets to where we are right now, where it is kind of like crisis mode, we just don't have, you know, you can't just build more trucks. Plus people are getting sick. You know, it's also people driving trucks. Yes. So... Ah, I never thought about that. And in addition to that, so, you know, Walmart goes and Walmart picks up these truckloads of toilet paper, mm -hmm. right? Now they have to divvy up, divvy it up and send it to each of their stores, right? Mm -hmm. um, they only send a certain amount. And because of this sudden surge in demand, that certain amount is clearly not enough, I mean, I was just in Target the other day, and as quickly as that man was opening those boxes of Purell and putting it on the shelf is as quickly as they were being removed. Yeah. So the demand is just on the, the supply-demand curve. Ooh, look at me taking back to school. All right, I'm looking at little canes and all that stuff. Supply, <laughs> the, the demand is just, just, just really outnumbering supply in just all accounts. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And so, and then even if you're able to, let's just say theoretically – meet the supply is able to meet the demand, which it just can't. But even let's say it worked theoretically, uh, and sorry guys, you know, I'm in New York, there's always a sirens. Um, say it theoretically could meet the demand, we'd have, the logistical issue would always be a problem because of trucks. And it's that's that's a big issue in this in America. Plus people are driving and getting sick and yeah, so wow. And so I get so freight train, I don't know. Is there other options? <laughs> I mean, do we have other options here? Uh, I mean, let's be honest about it. How often do you see train tracks near um, Walmarts? How often do you really see train tracks? 
Um, okay, true. I haven't thought about that. That's true. A lot of New York, that's a non-thing. Uh, I think about where our parents live in Jersey. I know there's some freight trains that go by there, but it's it's not actually directly. You still need a truck regardless. Like to get yes. off to the get train it. there, you still need it. To get well, to the point of sale, you would definitely need a truck. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I never even thought about it. This is, this is why I need you here. So regardless, this is going to be an issue just from just distribution, even if they were able to meet the supply. And again, I don't know the raw materials that go into, I know paper comes from trees, but I don't know right. like what you actually do to, to, you know, make toilet paper, truth be told, or paper towels or, or, you know, wipes. I don't know. So from the raw material oh, perspective. Yes. And so some of those raw materials, mm-hmm. some, a lot of those raw materials, especially when they're used on that large of a scale. So for a paper plant is huge. A plant that is you, that is, um, that can produce paper towels, toilet paper, baby wipes mm-hmm. is huge. Like we're talking 1500 people in that plant working. Like we're talking, you can, you can bump into an employee at a bar and not even realize you're all working at the same place. Mm. At least the ones I've been to. But then again, with Corona, there could be some impact on the number of people who are actually working. Some are trying, but if they legitimately get sick, then. Right. Because, of course, you know, all of these companies are running very lean when it comes to headcount. And now, granted, these processes are highly automated, Mm -hmm. but still, you still need people. Mm. And so the machinery, I guess, can support it. But the raw materials, who's to say? Like, I don't know, if there's suddenly a, a, de- a large demand of paper, I mean, obviously you can't just grow extra trees. I you know, actually, I don't even know how this whole works. How the hell? How and then you also, paper? so it depends. Like there are some, back in the day, there were some companies that owned the entire supply chain from making, from having their own trees mm-hmm. to breaking that down into pulp, to tracking it, to, to trucking that um, pulp to the factories to be converted into paper products. But now, you know, a lot of them, a lot of times, because it's such an expensive venture, that part of the business has been broken off where now they are just ordering paper pulp and having that whole grow the tree, cut the tree down, chop it up, turn it into pulp process be done by another company, right. uh, supply, another supplier. So, yes, now you don't know. I mean, it's all well and good for you as the tissue manufacturer to say, yeah, this is how I'm going to run. I'm going to have this much access capacity for surge. It's all and good for you to even dictate that to your pulp supplier. But you really don't know until you're really tested, like in a time like this, whether they can really accommodate you like this. Because chances are, if they're supplying you, they're probably also supplying your competitor. Right. And everybody else, every other small mom and pop that is out there trying to make their own version of toilet paper. Mm. So like, you know, over this past week, there was actually an article talking about, and I don't know who they were interviewing, but it was not a big supplier like Kimberly Clark or Procter and Gamble where that manufacturer was saying, yes, they were struggling to try and meet demand. You will notice though, you haven't heard that from Kimberly Clark or Procter and Gamble. Mm. I haven't. I mean, I saw, I haven't checked recently, but the last time I checked, Kimberly Clark's stock was doing very well. Mm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. look, so we're not shouting anybody out, but I'm saying, look, they're caking off. Now, okay, I'm going to interject here where people, all the stupid conspiracy theories on social media is because the government wants, you know, the big businesses are trying to push us to get toilet paper. And they just, oh, I'm, wow. like, I'm like, y'all, I, I don't even know what you guys are thinking. Who there's no toilet paper fairy who said, Let me make a disease so people can, can stop working so they can buy up toilet paper and wipes? Like, that's stupid. If you no. guys think that the government made this so that there could be like a surge in toilet paper, <laughs> not possible, <laughs> not, not possible, no. Like, these, but no. that still doesn't explain why these people are buying so much at once. I mean, because if you think you're going to get um, digestive issues that badly with the virus, you don't need toilet paper. You need to take your butt in the shower and rinse that off. If you're even going to get up off the toilet. I mean, truth be told, this it is a little weird because this isn't a disease that tends to have digestive like exactly. symptoms. 
or side effects. And then on top of that, it's also quarantine where you're home. So it's not like you're out on the street or something. You're, you're home. So you guys have showers. It, it is kind of weird. Um, and a washcloth, really, if you if it came to that, right? Exactly. So I'm <laughs> a little confused. The wipes are, you know, the Clorox wipes, the Lysol wipes. For me, you know, that is important. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and then, yeah, you know, I understand a shortage there. I can't find Amazon, everything. You can't find anything. Um, so let's next kind of paper, not paper good, but related the mask, the surgical masks, mm-hmm. the N95 masks. I believe you're familiar with them. Yes. They, you, when you hear Gail's episode, you'll hear that she's an ER nurse. The way they use them is that the protocol has been up until now to change it after each patient, yep. like change your mask. First, she said they told them, no, you can use it for six hours, eight hours, the whole shift. Now it's the whole day. And then you got to return it in a baggie to them at the end of the day. You sign it in and you sign it back out. And then they're going to try to sanitize them, which the research shows like they're not even supposed to be sterilized or something. So Correct. So they were not built for multiple uses. Yeah. So that's a huge, that's a huge concern. Um, and there is no solid research that has validated a process for decontaminating N95 masks so that they can be reused. So yes, but most likely these were definitely manufactured in, in um, China. Uh, you know, we are now a global village. Yes, companies now do outsource certain parts of their manufacturing portfolio. And unfortunately, we're paying the price for it. So, but you guys, so your industry uses them as well. Are you yes. guys feeling the shortage of the supply of the N95 masks? So we have, um, but what we did, we have a decent amount of in- inventory. So, but what we've had to do is that we have actually had to start. We couldn't just leave it out for the general population to access because we knew people have hoarding tendencies. Right. So now every time the guys need to use a mask, when they come to the start a shift and one is issued to them. Got it. And, you know, if they happen to be doing a task where it's a, it's, you know, very dirty task, we're not telling them use the same mask for the entire eight hours you're working. No, if you need a new one, by all means, you can, you can come get one. That's well, where we are right now. Yeah. Well, that's good, but it can change. So yeah. the mask thing is very real. Cause I've said, you know, we're all thinking about, the nurse and everything and mm-hmm. the medical facility, the doctors who need them, which is true, but there are other industries who as a hazard to your job, you need them too. And now everyone is in the global village and stretch with the supplies. So this one is even more interesting to me um, because Christian Siriano, who's a designer, he had run one project one way several years ago now. Mm -hmm. He worked with the governor to start creating them. He's actually having his seamstresses. He's a guy who does like ball gowns. Now he has his seamstresses working. And I think he's doing like a thousand masks a day. I was watching YouTube uh, Jeannie Mai, who's a host on The Real. She said she's working with Michael Costello, another designer who's trying to figure out how that he can chip in and start creating masks. So I don't know if they're in 95, but creating masks and he was just working to get the right clearances with the government because you need a particular type of fabric to do it. And also you need mm-hmm. to have like a certain warehouse, again, a distribu- uh, like a warehouse facility and Anastasia, the one who does the eyebrows is offering her warehouse. So all this stuff is like, you know, people are chipping in from, you know, to try to do manufacturing on this. How, you know, with we all have seen, like, if we go from Ford, people used to have all the jobs in Detroit. Manufacturing has been outsourced to different countries. Do we even have enough manufacturing facilities to properly ramp up here if we needed to? So in terms of, um, you know, these masks, you know, I you know, I do think it's great that other people are doing it. Um, you're the one who told me about the car industry wanting to switch their machinery to do ventilators now. Mm-hmm. And then I read that they actually started to do it without Trump's approval. And then he turned around and said, I'm mandating them to do it. But what is the actual state of manufacturing in the U S right? Cause all I've heard about things going to 
Asia, things going to Mexico. Like I know people's plants have gone out. I know people who work like Slim. She goes to the facilities like in other countries mm-hmm. for her business, right? So I don't even know of us having a lot of manufacturing facilities in America. What's the just the state in general, like as status quo? So manufacturing is a dying um how do I put it? Manufacturing is a dying industry in America. Why? Because the cost to produce goods in America is high. Why? Because um, American workers expect to have a livable wage. And when you compare that to the wages you can charge, I mean, you pay in China, Vietnam, even Mexico, from a business perspective, it's a no-brainer. Yes, I'm going to outsource my, my my manufacturing to those companies. Now, this is when we're in a bind where these, these decisions come back to bite us. Why? Because it's one thing to say, yes, we're going to outsource. But just like in stocks where they always tell you diversify your portfolio, we're not diversifying who our suppliers are. Mm. So, you know, China actually, and, you know, they have been a huge proponent of, yes, keep bringing manufacturing to our country. Yes, we have more than enough manpower, which helps us suppress what wages are. And we have more than enough facilities. Oh, and on top of that, all those environmental laws you guys got to abide by in the Western world, eh, we, we, eh, we, we can work around it. You know, we make something happen. Right. And so here we are. And it's, it's actually kind of mind-blowing because when you think about it, you know, it's still cheaper to manufacture in China and then move that freight halfway across the world mm-hmm. and get it here and then move it pretty much across a continent to supply all of America. And that still turns out to be cheaper than keeping manufacturing here in America. It is. I mean, well, the economics and the finance behind it, that those are the drivers, right? Um, yes. When we talk about these companies and they have, you know, especially those that are publicly traded yep, and they need to report out and they're supposed to be having dividends and, you know, people are looking at their income statements and their balance sheets. You know, the whole thing is uh, like GNA, you want to keep that low, the like general administrative piece, like where, so overhead, you guys, what I'm trying to say, basically. So the overhead, all that stuff. You know, that takes away from these people being able to say that their earnings are millions of dollars and have, you know, dividends and for, you know, Wall Street to say, oh, I I have faith in your company because you're able to give out these dividends or you're able you're performing at this rate. So, you know, the lower those overhead costs are. Uh, the better they look for Wall Street. And so for them to do that, lower overhead means that, well, they, they really can't afford to be paying people a livable, livable wage. And the cost of, you know, the facilities and all that stuff, the upkeep, well, why should I do that here if it's expensive? So it's, it's a vicious cycle. And, you know, I, I think the problem is that a lot of Americans really don't understand how business works. Like business school, you could say it's bullshit, but if you actually... Um, some of the lessons are very prudent. It's how, about, yes. Yeah, it's very prudent. People don't understand. So you and, okay, now I'm going to rant about black people like I like to do. So we tendency, unfortunately, have a tendency because you don't, people see athletes or they see musicians or entertainers as who they look up to in terms of people who, you know, come into money because society allows black people to be in those roles, to be honest. And those are the ones that you can excel in. So that's what people aspire to have, uh, to be. But they really don't understand how business works. Like there are tons of ways to make money outside of entertainment and outside of being an athlete, okay? And if you really understand how business works and not just you guys saying, oh, you know, open a cook shop, open a restaurant, like that's cool. And small businesses are cool and stuff like that. But corporate, okay, if you guys really understand how corporations work and how the society works and Wall Street and why Trump is saying we need to go back, it is such an insidious cycle of how we are where we are today. So like, just think about, we're not even talking about manufacturing. Like everyone's like, oh, it's bad. Supplies are down. But I swear I'm the only person I hear who's like, okay, so hold up. Let's peel this back. How do we get here? Why can't Mm -hmm. we handle the supply? 
What's up with manufacturing? What's up with supply chain? Yes, it's cool that a dress designer is trying to make masks. He couldn't do $1,000 a day. Manufacturing is not new shit. The Industrial Revolution happened over 100 years ago. So why we're not talking about how we got here, like how these nurses and everyone are not able to have supplies. Right. So we're not talking about how we actually got here and we got here because of these fucked up decisions, but you guys are still going to go, you know, vote for Trump. I'm just saying. I'm still actually pretty. When I saw that article that said, you know, Hey, GE or GM was looking into making ventilators. That is such a huge stretch from manufacturing an automobile. I mean, I honestly raised an eyebrow and I kept it pushing because the manufacturing lines are not built. They are not that flexible Mm -hmm. where one day I could be making a GM truck and then the next day or week or two weeks, I could be making ventilators. Not efficiently. Mm. Not at all. Mm -hmm. No, I, no, I I thought it was weird. I was like, I don't. I was like, how do you go from a truck? Unless there's some part of a truck that is similar to a ventilator. Well, I don't, you know. I that's don't... beyond my scope. Yeah, so I, I thought it was weird. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, I am imagining a ventilator is sterile equipment, right? Versus Correct. a car, which is not. There you go. So I don't, that part I didn't understand either. <laughs> I was like, well, how do you go from a non-sterile type of, you know, um, Actually, you have experience with this. You have experience with uh, medical devices or things like that. You do. I remember that. So didn't it have to be a particular environment? There had to be some Yes. So there has to be, you know, there's certain levels of clean rooms. You know, the more sterile you needed, the more robust those clean room protocols have to be. And I really, now granted, um, when you come, when it comes to painting a car, they do use certain um, clean room protocols to give you that nice, pretty coat of paint. But that's not the same as what you would need to produce sterile equipment. You know, furthermore, when you think about it, when you th- look at an, autom- an automobile manufacturing line, a lot of that is very automated. You know, they're using robots to paint and everything else. Um, all that is programmed in. So now you now have to go and reprogram all of your equipment your robotics to make ventilators. And I'm pretty sure ventilators are probably an, um, a federally regulated piece of equipment. Mm. I'm pretty sure it falls under medical devices. So now there are FDA protocols that you have to abide by. Yeah. And I just Googled it because I'm like, is we talking about this? And I thought it didn't make sense, but I didn't know. So I'm looking at this at CNN article about this. Uh, this is looks like it was just from uh, yesterday, five, uh, the... 27th in the evening so they said switching from cars to ventilators is not so easy ventilators are complex machines that use sophisticated software and specialized parts and companies that seek to manufacture them face several hurdles including intellectual property rights the need for specially trained workers regulatory approvals and safety considerations so the auto manufacturers have announced their teaming up with existing ventilator makers to help them ramp up production. Some like Ford and GM are exploring producing ventilators in their own factories, um, but it's a race against time. So I know Cuomo said that he he needed like, I don't know, 400,000 ventilators or 300,000. And I believe FEMA gave him 400. Wow. <laughs> yes, I remember that from a few days ago. And I mentioned it to Gail. And she's like, well, if you think you need thousands of ventilators, that's cool. But you don't have thousands of staff. So how's that going to work? Mm-hmm. She's, she's like, that's you don't have thousands. Point. I was like, well, that's true, too. So we're not getting the full story from the media. Like, we're getting pieces of the story. I'm not saying that the media is not being honest and I'm not even saying it's sensationalized but I think they're just approaching it from a myopic angle as far as I'm concerned like they're looking at very obvious angles but Gwen likes to be a critical thinker and thankfully I I feel like I have a good enough network where we can talk about different aspects of this but you're absolutely how do you go from a car to a ventilator and would I trust a ventilator that was made by GM or Ford Mm, I wouldn't (laughs) I'll be honest it's, I don't, 
no. And even like the tests for it, I I saw I was watching Trevor Noah's um, Instagram, which is so good actually during this time. I would recommend everyone watch the Daily Show. He does he's doing a really good job from home, and he had a guest on who said he was tested. He's been in I think Australia for four weeks, and so he's he's been tested. He said it was like a swab that goes up all the way in your nose. Yeah, I saw that. So I'm assuming, you know, we also need people to make more of those too, right? That's the big part of the whole, we're talking about supply chain here as well. Yeah. We don't and have that's enough tests. also FDA regulated mm. and it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, one of the things I've come to notice is the level of agility a manufacturer has is definitely dependent upon what industry he's supporting. If you're supporting an industry where there are huge barriers to entry, your inefficiency is hidden by those huge barriers to entry. Mm. Good point. Yeah, because this, these are federally regulated, the FDA piece, all of that. Huge, that is a barrier to entry. So how are we suddenly going to switch and then if you switch it does it does hide the fact that it probably isn't that agile like it isn't that easy no it's not man so is i mean i don't want to just be a bunch of sitting ducks i'm always trying to problem solve like what is i don't know i don't know because you know listen you can't just make a new factory these things take time like those things are hard you need the skilled workers you need them to be made right right sterile all those things I mean, so what needs to happen here, and unfortunately it's going to be, you know, hindsight, is when we finally get over the hump of this pandemic, we really need to sit down and do a true lessons learned and understand where our gaps were and what we're going to do to ensure that this isn't happening anymore. Because yes, back in the day, back in wartime eras, there was there were laws put in place where if the government needed to because they were running short on military supplies, they could mandate manufacturers here to convert their operations to supply them with what they needed. But that was back in the day right. where, yes, manufacturing was very labor-intensive and manual back then, and it was probably easier to try and make that change. Now a lot of manufacturing is hugely automated, hugely specialized. That's how you minimize that supply chain cost. And so for you to simply come in and say, yep, I'm just going to invoke this law that we made 50 years ago to try and address a modern day problem, it's not really the best solution. I understand it's probably the only one we can work with right now, mm. but we've got to do better. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. See, this is why we got looking on here. Great point. Manufacturing looks very different in wartime. So it probably was easier when I keep saying that I love Juicy Machine because that's the biggest thing in my head when they make the chocolates and, you know, on the conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. um, but it was different where there were people primarily doing the things in the production and it wasn't so specialized with machinery and technology. So it probably was much easier to adjust, we you know, with people like, you know, change the mold or something and people do exactly. this. But you have millions of dollars of equipment that is designed to make, you know, specific widgets, specific parts. Yep. It's not so easy to just turn around and say, okay, here's, you know, go from making a, you know, a Ford Taurus to making a ventilator. You know, it's, it's not that easy. So in theory, that does make sense. But the manufacturing industry has changed so much since wartime, you know, since World War II, that you can't just... It doesn't make the same sense as it did at that time. No, not at oh, all. Damn. Well, it sounds like we're grabbing, we're grasping at straws. Uh, I mean, I think honestly, at this point, we are doing the best we can with what we got. Well, we don't got much. You know, we don't. <laughs> so I mean, it sounds okay. So it sounds like okay. I'm always listen. I'm always, Gwen always wants a strategy. I think the strategy is. We need, we need people in China to get better first, okay? So they can go back to work and send us supplies. <laughs> because I'm telling you, we got to work with what y'all did. And what you did was put the manufacturing We put all facilities. our manufacturing eggs in one basket. 
Cool yeah. And so instead of Trump, and I hate to do the political thing, but it just, you know, it, it's all related to politics and business, which are interrelated very closely. But if you alienate them and say this is a Chinese virus and accuse them, stuff like that, he, they don't, listen, he keeps trying to play China. I'm like, China really is the one who has the deck in their favor. China has their foot on our necks. We just not really willing to admit that or say that out and loud. Out yeah, loud. I don't understand how he doesn't know that. And he keeps like instigating with them. And I'm like, sir, you need to make nice because China has been playing the long game. Okay. Yes, they have. They've been playing the long game and building up. They build up all the roads in Jamaica and Latin America and the Caribbean. They're building up Africa. Uh, they have all the manufacturing. They have played the long game. While the quote-unquote superpowers, the traditional ones, Europeans and the U.S. have been beating our chest like Superman in, you know, a good PR marketing campaign. But the long game is China is really the one who is, you know, he's the wizard in in odds. Like, really the one who's manipulating everything. And they in it to win it. So shout out to everybody in China. I really want you guys to get better real soon, please please they need to get it under control and and you know get healthy so y'all can manufacture and send some stuff out to not just us to the world italy spain everyone is and you know iran is actually going through a lot we don't talk about it because we're not having good relations with them but they're actually going through it really hard too we need them to get better in china so that we can have supplies because we don't have enough to help ourselves which is the truth which is sad and I don't think, because if we are only concerned about the stock market rally, when everything goes back to normal, the stock market still don't want the manufacturing facilities here. <laughs> they still don't want it because it's not good for business the way they have a design for the, the, the amount, the way they want expenses low, you know, yes. profits high, you know, it, it's not, and, and they want dividends. So, you, you you know, it's not going to, I don't, I don't personally see that we're going to be like, yeah, let's bring some manufacturing back to America. Cause you still don't want to pay people working wages. You don't. You still don't want to um, be responsible for the upkeep and the amortization of everything of all those factories and the equipment and things like that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be bothered. So... Why? You know, you don't want to have to deal with the regulators and things in America and pollution. Why would, you know, the EPA, you don't want to deal with that because it's not good for your economic business. So I feel Corona has been revealing a lot. It has. You know, this is actually, it kind of also shows us that, you know, these companies, their business continuity is not robust. Whatever they think their business continuity plan is, whatever they felt was sufficient for this day and age, isn't. It's not. But if you think of the way business works, all you, if you're playing, and and I know I talk about the stock market a lot, guys, and a lot of people work for, you know, the majority of businesses are not large publicly traded, but that's what runs the country. Like that, that's what consumer confidence, all that's based on this. So the small moms and pops, I get it. Like, you're like, this doesn't apply to me, but it does because if the stock market and things are not rallying, then it's a trickle down where it does have impact. You won't get those small business loans you need. Yeah. So that you can expand and eventually become the next, you know, Walmart. Yeah. You just don't. But the, the problem is just by default with that, because all you care about in the stock market is how you are going to do each quarter. It's a short-sighted right. game. It's a very short-sighted, short-term gains instead of long-term sustainability. Yeah. And that's what you're judged on, right? You're judged on the short, you know, each quarter, right? And, you know, then, okay, they'll look, okay, how does your, you perform over the past year, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's each quarter. What are you reporting out for your earnings this quarter? And if that is the litmus test by which people test the success of your business, you're only really going to be looking primarily at the short term. Mm-hmm. And business continuity is, you know, it's a cute thing to talk about. It's a cute little thing to say, but you're not really in it for that. 
and the average length of a CEO um, tenure is five years. So how much continuity do people really thinking about? You're right. Because pretty much the whole system is set up for just short-term games. And that's America. That's American style. That's American style, which, which again, is very different than China, which is about the long game. I got to move to China when they get better. <laughs> I, need to, I need to move to China when they get better. So, uh, shit. I mean, I can't think of... I mean, yeah. So, I, I think the dynamics of supply chain are interesting in the ties to business. I don't see us changing our business and economic system model, right? We won't. And I don't know how we avoid a depression. I see these stimulus packages that I'm not getting anything from. Not a dime. (laughs) I'm not getting (laughs) anything from. Uh, And I don't know how, you know, it's a one-time check is going to really help anybody, but... And it's so, and I mean, once again, that's what, like, look at how America has approached it compared to Canada, compared to England. I mean, come on. I mean, I think Canada is giving each family $2,000 a month for the next three months. Yeah, I think it's four months, three or four months. Yeah. England was doing something comparable. We're just giving this a one-time payment, and yeah, there you go, and hopefully that'll hold you over. <laughs> I don't... It, it's... Um, the emperor has no clothing, right? I think if people are truly paying attention, they're seeing... They'll see that the U.S. really is about smoke and mirrors. It's a marketing ploy. It's about the spin, but there's not a lot of substance behind it. It just not isn't. Um I actually saw a guy I follow on Instagram, Kev on stage. He's a comedian. Mm-hmm. He mentioned, he saw, he shared a note that the Cheesecake Factory, which I, like, I think about your kids, um, <laughs> sent a note to their landlords telling them they're not paying next month's rent. Right. They're they said they can't make months. it. They don't have yeah. enough cash. Yeah. They said they're not paying for the next three months. <laughs> and that's that. <laughs> I was like, well. Say it with your chest, Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Say Can I tell my mortgage company that? Girl, good luck. They come with a hazmat suit to put a lock on that door. I mean, I was like, wow. But it also, you know, they don't have the capital, but it also goes to show this is a paycheck to paycheck society. Like even the big, you know, like mm. fairly popular business, they don't got the rent and they're not paying it. FYI. You know, so I, you know, I think also, you know, ultimately, I guess this is going to come down to the pressure on the banks, right? Because if people start stop paying their rents, then there's impact on people paying their mortgages. Yep. Uh, whether it's a home or a business, and you know, the mortgage is owned by the bank at the end of the day. So, or is it though? Or has the bank sold it to Fannie Mae, and now it's the government's problem? It depends. I've okay. I don't need to tell all y'all my business, but I've been a homeowner for a while, and that mortgage, man, has been sold to how many people now? I mean, wow. I might be on my fifth or sixth lender. In the time it got within the last year, it um it actually got sold again. And so I saw a little note from the mortgage company. It's a small little bank this time. So mine has never gone to the government, though. Mine has just gone from <laughs> bank, to <laughs> bank to bank to bank. Um, yeah, mine went from bank to bank to bank. Uh, I can, yeah, I won't say who it was at first. It was with a big bank first. And then it's just gone from bank to non-heard of banks. And then this is a this is a little bank I'm familiar with. There's one by our parents. It's gone to like a very little, like a very, I don't know if it's a regional bank now. And so I looked on, they sent me a little note and I was like, okay, are y'all going to let me defer my payment? Because I'll defer it. But they were like, oh, we, you know, your interest will, you don't have to pay the interest for a month. I said, that's it? <laughs> well, that's it? And even that, am I getting a ding on my credit? I think they said there wouldn't be reporting. I think that was something else. Like they wouldn't report for like a month or two. That was it. <sighs> so... But they've no, pretty much no. left it to the banks to determine how they handle people's inability to pay their debts. 
I I think it's at a state level because I saw that mm-hmm. Cuomo had he'd put something in about mortgage companies not being able to do it. He did that, but my mortgage is actually not in New York. I live in New York. I pay rent here, but I don't. My mortgage is in, is in Jersey, so I know Cuomo did. I didn't say anything about Jersey, and I saw the note from the bank, and it didn't say anything to that effect. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's a it's a weird. <sighs> It's a weird time. I, I don't know how this is gonna work out because you know if if I'm not gonna say if we're I think we're gonna be in a weird situation. I believe the government. I believe Trump is going to say everyone go back to work. It's fine. Right. Yeah. No. He's not being realistic. But then uh, more people are gonna be getting sick. Exactly. And then people stop working and it takes a toll on the medical system and then people can't pay the bills. So I don't know what you do when it's not, it's not just the subprime lenders like it was in 2008, right. you know, or the subprime, you know, not lenders. They're the subprime borrowers. Borrowers. Yeah. It's not just them. It's just across the board. It's because it's just, it's a health thing. I don't know what you do. Like the banks are just going to eat it. I don't know. You know, plus the airlines need to bail out too. See, I have a problem with that. Like, real talk, all the money y'all done made charging me to check my bags, what y'all do with it? (laughs) I have no sympathy for them. Go dig up that checked bag money and cover your course. So, okay, the airline, I'm going to give them this. Due to Reagan in the 80s, you know, it was was a, there was a lot of deregulation, right? Mm -hmm. Before it was regulated, the you know a lot of government subsidies, which they should, I really believe they should be, but Reagan, who partially had Alzheimer's, because y'all keep electing old ass presidents, about you mm-hmm. doing it again, okay? He deregulated the industry, and they really suffered. They couldn't, you know, you know, you know that this is a high cost industry to be a part a part of, like just to maintain it, the equipment, yeah, it, it it it's so expensive. Just to maintain just your your airline fleet, the maintenance, you know, the gas, you have employees on top of that. It's hard. And then, you know, the costs of airline tickets went down, supply and demand. So it's cheaper now to fly than it was 50 years ago. But you don't have the government funding injected to help make it like a, a sustainable business, really. Which is why so many airlines dropped out or there were these mergers. So you're in the position where it's not an industry that can necessarily be profitable. So what did they do? All right. You want you want to take your bag on a plane? Oh, you got to pay for that. Oh, you want to you want a snack? You got to pay for that, too. Like you you want to be depending on the airline. You want me to give you a seat number? Oh, you got to pay for that. <laughs> okay? Because there was, a, like, I can't remember which one it is. If There is. I've seen it. Because now this whole basic economy versus economy. Yes, yes. Like, it is wild, the stuff that they're willing to do. But it's it's not a profitable industry by default. It's just not. So it's wrong because, of course, it's insulting. It's insulting. You're like, oh, my God. You know, you're going to, you're, you're, you're I'm charging. I'm going on a week-long trip out the country, or even to Florida from New York, yes, I'm going to have clothes with me. Yes, I'm going to have to check a bag. That Honestly, that should be part of the ticket. It should just be. It's hey, it, You're trying to fly, or you got the option of taking that ride down 95. Well, listen, some people are good. They, they, they will get their little hand luggage, and they pack everything in it, and that's that. Yeah, but you see what happens. You know, they had to start reinforcing the overhead luggage compartments because they wasn't built for that. True. And then they're always so full and people taking all this crazy stuff on the plane. You know, I've seen so many people take oversized bags and not be able to fit them in. And it's a disaster. Right. But they're so I shouldn't. But I I have empathy because I understand by default, it's not an industry that really shouldn't even be profitable. It really should. So let me challenge you on this. Right. So based on just how American capitalism goes, mm-hmm. if it's not a profitable industry, then it shouldn't be private. 
It's either it shouldn't be private, it by default needs to be subsidized, or we just don't have an airline industry in America, which of course is not feasible. Well, it wasn't. It used to be partially funded, like subsidized, right? And they were like, we deregulate, so no. And the privatization more and more. And now they, they figured out a way to make it profitable, which is why they charge you for a peanut, charge you for your bag. You know, they, they, they figured it out. And it's to the detriment of the passengers. But it was, I do think it was survival mode because, look, you're not giving me the influx of what I need. And that's that. You know, the government is deregulated. They're not. I mean, I would challenge them in this day and age to really take a look at their business model and really see what they're doing. Because granted, I'm pretty sure a huge driver of their costs is probably the labor, be it the maintenance guys, the flight crews, all of that. Well, I want those, all those people to be there. What you trying to say? <laughs> I'm not trying to say cut anybody. <laughs> Relax. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to say, okay, well, if there are certain fixed costs that no matter what, it is what it is, there is no way to try and optimize those fixed costs anymore. What else can we try and optimize? Have they really optimized their business model like they should? I don't know. Well, look, that's why the seats are so close and tiny. They, they're cramming all the seats in together. All the flights are full. I feel like they really have thought about it. You know, before, I remember being a kid, like, it, the flights were not full like they are today. I know. Like, I I haven't fl- flown on a non-full flight in 10 years. Like, but, I don't care. It's always so, packed. But flight. remember, like, back in the day, how they were even marketed, right? You know, it was a black tie event to take a flight, and, you know, you can see the old pictures where, like, I mean, hell, there's enough room for you to probably have a damn football game in, in, in the, co- in, in the um, plane with, the, with everybody seated. The seats were wider. They were pretty much like Lazy Boys in some of these old ads you've seen. And, okay, granted, that's probably not sustainable. Once again, uh, inefficiencies being hidden by ha- subsidies and huge barriers to entry. But... Why have they sacrificed the flight experience to stay profitable or at a minimum at a minimum at a minimum break even? I don't like feeling like cattle. I mean, I I'm I'm fine not coming dressed up in heels and a dress to get on a plane. That's fine, but I don't want to feel like cattle. I. Well, then you have a choice to go to what do they have now? Uh, economy plus or business class or first class. And just walk, the, just watch the cattle walk past me. I love to, <laughs> to do get it, to the girl. back of the plane. You know, I love to do it. <laughs> so I watch. Oh, I can't with you. Listen, you know, listen, I, I hate the movie Soul Plane, but there's some lessons in Soul Plane. Okay. <laughs> Y'all go back to low class. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, um, no, it, it, it's not, it's not right. I, I think it's a hard situation because it comes down to business and what we're willing to do. You know, people like, I don't want big government. I don't want government, to, but we, but we live in civilization. Okay. This is not Lord of the flies. So do you do need a certain structure and they're going to have to do stuff. And they, yes, they need to infuse money into the airline industry because it's very important. And y'all know every time you see a, a plane crash, y'all heart be out your, you know, your chest mm-hmm. and you're scared. All right. And you see a lot of these countries that have, you know, do not have good airline uh, records. You know, it's because there are government subsidi- subsidized and they don't have money in their governments. So, so we just need to be real. Like, look, look, I can't get this little money that the government is sending out the stimulus package. I ain't getting shit. But do I think you guys should get it? Yes, you should. Would I like to get it too? Cool. But listen, I'm not saying, well, because I can't get it. You can't. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Like, look, I, I, it, it's needed. I don't qualify for it. But, you you know, a lot of people do. The majority of people, Americans do. And I think it's important to happen. So I, I think we are such a selfish society the same ones who like libertarian Republicans, I don't want government, da, 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 but you want that $1,200 check. Facts. You know, and you want your airlines to be safe and, you know, 
the government took out money. They figured out a way. So yeah, I'm going to charge you for a peanut. And yeah, I'm going to charge you for your bag on your flight. Yes, it seems like I should be, you should let me take a bag. But look, government's not helping me. It's super, you know, you know, to manufacturing airplane parts, all this stuff. And when it doesn't work out like that, actually, I'm about to collect this because we could talk about airplanes because we think about the seven, was it 737 Max? What's going on with that? When it goes wrong, it goes wrong bad and fast and it's super expensive. So it's a, you know, it's, it's just the capitalist structure only benefits very few people. It, indeed. And Americans, I think we hold onto the dream. Like, you know, like everybody wants to be a rapper. I'd say the black people example, but it's, it's the same thing for all Americans, really. Of you want to be a rapper, you want to be an entertainer, or you think you're going to make it big. So, and I think this is a Republican mentality or the conservative mentality. Like, I don't want other people to get it because I'm going to, that's exceptionalism. They identify with Trump, but I don't know how you could. He was born into that money. You will never be him. I don't care how white you are. The chances are low. So instead of trying to be like this quote unquote exceptionalist, like think about other people and the greater good, but that's not society. It's individualistic. So people only want to be a puffy. They want to be a Trump and fuck everybody else, even if it's fucking themselves in the process. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, girl. Corona is, you know, people think it's the revelations, the rapture. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think it's that. I, I, I do think it is really like an, like peeling back the layers for us to see the real reality of all of our societies. I would agree. So, I mean, this has been a long time. We could probably wrap this up here. Uh, How long have we been talking? 63 minutes. Wow. Okay. So, I, you know, we went from supply chain into just different things, but still related. So, but, you know, shout out to my sister, Brooklyn, for dropping all this knowledge on supply chain, how this all works with all our, you know, us not having toilet paper and everything, how this all works in manufacturing, um, educational, informative. Appreciate you. No problem. And, uh, you know, and you're, oh, I didn't mention this. Well, you didn't mention it. Or maybe you did. Uh, Brooklyn is an essential worker. So Gwen been home for three weeks. I am non-essential like a motherfucker. But. <laughs> <laughs> but. Brooklyn essential and Brooklyn tired. <laughs> Brooklyn is essential. So poor Brooklyn is out there still, you know. Not to worry. I am pureled up, Lysol wiped up, bleach sprayed up. And I have made it very clear to my team, if y'all ain't washing your hands, don't come to me. Yeah, shout out to Brooklyn. She's really look. She's not. She's not like Gail on the front lines of Corona, but she on the other front line of some stupidity of men who will probably infect everybody because they're not doing the right things. Hmm. So, um, shout out to you who are trying to do the right thing, who are essential workers, but you know those around you are not complying. So it makes it hard. It does. Well, everybody, wash your hands. Try to stay home. Stay on social media. Follow me at Gab with Gwen on Twitter. Tomorrow I'll be live tweeting live tweeting 90 Day Fiance. Okay. And um <laughs> follow me at Gwen Gabwith on Instagram. And you know, stay safe, everybody. Don't panic. And it's all good. We're gonna be all right, y'all. It may take a while, but we we'll be all right. Exactly. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.